Welcome to the Lowride Worldwide Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to global lowriding culture. My name is John Uloa. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for tuning in. This episode features Esteban Oriol, lowrider, photographer, Renaissance man. Esteban talks to us about low riding, his experience, some history, some culture, and a global perspective of really being the pioneer of documenting global low riding culture. So, without further ado, here's Esteban Oriol. Your career, I mean, if people are, unless people are sleeping under a rock, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, you the photographer, you the filmmaker, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Esteban Lowrider, you know, okay. I mean, I was, I, I was, you know, I was watching a, an interview where you said, I don't own a lowrider, I am a lowrider. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, talk to us about that, about like, you, you know, the history of you having the 64 and, you know, kind of the trajectory of things from way back to now. Yeah, I've been having, I bought my car in 89 and around 91 is when I started building it. And um, my homie DC, rest in peace, he was a, a African-American guy from uh, Watts. And he uh, he had his own car club called Hood Rat Car Club. And, uh, and um, he goes, hey, man, what are you going to do with this car? And I go, yeah. He goes, are you going to lowrider or what? I go, yeah, for sure. He goes, when? I go, as soon as I get, you know, like 20 racks stacked up, he goes, nah, man, that's not how it works. He goes, here, let's get my tools. And I was like, okay. So we went to his truck, got his tools, and then uh, he just started ripping my car apart right there on the sidewalk. I had an apartment in Hollywood right off, like, uh, Melrose in uh, Coenga. And um, <clears throat> he started putting all my shit on the sidewalk, like my interior all my bumpers, all the chrome, all the uh, all the moldings, like everything that you could take off the car, but the car would still be able to roll, he took off. And he was like, here, put all this shit together and put it in your truck, because I had a little uh, work truck back then. He's like, put all the interior on this side, put your uh, chrome over here, put your moldings over here. And you could take, uh, you know, on Monday, you could take all this shit to the different shops and, and just drop it off because it's going to take a while to get done. And I was thinking like, fuck, man, if they come out in two weeks, you know, like what, what takes two weeks to do, you know, like nothing, you know, nothing I ever done unless you're building a house. He's like, don't worry. You, by the time this shit is ready, you'll have the money. And um, that shit was taking like six months. Shit that I weeks would take like six, six months or even a year to get done i was like fucking yeah i go hey man why does it take so long you know like fucking what do they what do they gotta do he goes that's just low riding you know motherfuckers in the low riding game take a long time to do shit and um i didn't i didn't realize it until then and it took me two years to finish that car and uh get a plaque in the back window and hit the streets but uh at that point in time i did it just the stock um blue that they that they came out with with the white top and uh you know i had i had Danes on it and uh i put the sounds i put hydraulics and a new interior new stock interior and then a few years later i went on tour and i told my homies hey can you uh you know i was i took my car to the paint shop to get the top painted because I wanted to change the white shit off of the top. And they go, yeah, yeah, bring it to this shop. You know, my, my car club guys, and they're like, yeah, bring it to this shop. And, and you know, while you go on tour with House of Pain, and then you can just come back and that shit will be done. And you'll be back, you know, writing again. I was like, yeah, cool. I took the car there, dropped it off. They sent me, like, pictures of it. And then <clears throat> they were like, hey, fuck that. We're going to paint the whole car. I go, no, no, man, I'm not going to have the fucking car for another year, you know. And they're like, we don't give a fuck, man. We can't have a stock-looking Impala in our club, you know. That shit's got to be custom, 
and you're going to love it and just deal with it. I was like, fuck it. You know, you guys know better than me. You're, you're, you're the OGs, you know? You guys were in all the Boulevard Nights movies and, you know, all that type of shit. So I just trusted them and I went through the whole car again. Once they're like, hey, man, you got all the fucking, everything's getting repainted. You might as well just redo your interior again, you know, so it'll match the, you know, you don't want a stock interior with a custom paint job. And I was like, fuck, man, here we go again, you know. So sure enough. Ripped the whole car down again and uh, started over. And that was the second time. And uh, since then, I've done it two more times. <clears throat> and, and I'm about to bust out again in about a month or two with uh, fuel injection, all new hydraulics, disc brakes all the way around. I never had disc brakes in the car since I've had it. And everybody's like, oh, man, you're tripping. You need disc brakes. You need disc brakes. I was like... There was always shit I would just pass up just because I wanted to fucking drive the car, you know. I was like, no, nah, we'll do that next time. We'll do that next time, you know. I just want to drive the motherfucker. And um, sure enough, you know, it took a couple of years to get that one out. And then, you know, I changed it two more times since then. So it's been nothing but drama. But it, when you're on the street, it's like it's like no other, you know. All that shit was worth it. It was worth all the drama. It was worth all the headaches. It was worth all the, you know, fights with your family and shit like that. So, you know, it's been good. It's been, uh, you know, but but that's what I meant when I said, like, you you are a lowrider. You, you don't, you know, just own it. It's not like I have a car, you know. I have a Porsche or I have a, you know, a classic car or whatever. Like, those lowriders low put you through it, you know. They put you through the blues. And, um it's nothing, uh, there's nothing like the feeling when you get your car back and you hit the street again. You're like, you feel like a, a newborn baby walking. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I went on from there and bought a, a 47 Fleet Line. I bought a Monte Carlo and a, a 61 Impala. So, you know, it never ends, you know, it's like a bottomless money pit. And just, but that's, you know, keeps you, keeps you working, you know, and you're like, fuck, man, I got to go hustle more and work harder because I need to do this, this and that to these cars and get all these bills paid. For sure. No, I hear that. I have a 40, I have a 48 fleet line. Oh, and, okay. And one of my coworkers asked me, he said, why do you work so much? And I said, yeah. you see my car? You yeah. Know? Because my thing with my deal with my family is I have the car as long as it doesn't take food off the table. So it's all like, you know, carry on top hustle for the car. Yeah, yeah. So that the family doesn't feel it. But yeah, man, it is a money pit for sure. It's never ending. Yeah. Never ending. Every time I take the car out, I make sure I got 200 bucks cash in case I need to get a flatbed that day. Right. Right. Just, my just my, like my 48 is. My 48 has spent more time on a flatbed than on the road. Yeah. It's crazy. So what it is. Is is your 47 stock? It's Yeah, it's um it has 15,000 miles. I bought it when it had 13,000. Wow. The only things I've touched on it was uh I made it a 12 volt. I lowered it 3 3 inches. I put um a stereo in it and a visor. And I had uh, <clears throat> Joe Epstein do all that. Nice. The notorious nice. Joe Epstein. Nice. So you were talking about the OGs that kind of, you know, that you came up under. Um, yeah. So was, so was the car your first entry point into low riding or was it growing up in LA and just it being part of your cultural surroundings and you just kind of knew that's for me, I'm going to do it someday? No, it's like when you when you have the car, then it's real, you know? It's kind of like, you know, it's it's like, how can you be a lowrider if you don't have a car? You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It don't make no sense. It's like, uh, you know, saying I'm an astronaut, but I've never been, I never been off the ground, you know? Right. Or, I'm, or I'm an actor, but I'm waiting tables every day, you know? It's like, until you get that car... <clears throat> you're rolling it on some wire wheels and you got some hydraulics in the back, you know, you're otherwise you're just rolling around any kind of car. 
yeah. any old custom classic or whatever. But lowrider, wire wheels, and um, hydraulics. Right on. Well, you know, me. yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, my, my 48 was static drop. And I was scraping over everything. I mean, I would be on the freeway and hit a bump and it would knock oh. the car into neutral. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And so I actually had hydraulics put on it to be able to get the car up. Yeah. You know, just to be able to get in and out of driveways and stuff, you know. But yeah, there, yeah. Yeah, there, I, there's no feeling. When I go on a driveway, I almost go like sideways to the driveway. And then I just like, you know, gradually go up it with the, with the 47, you know, it's a... Uh, Otherwise, you just scrape your back bumper off or your or your pipes or whatever. So, but the you know with the sixty four, you just hit the switch and you're up in there. You know, go anywhere. Sure, for sure. You know, I mean, somebody somebody sent me a DM the other day and they said to me, they said, "Thank you for starting this movement of documenting low riding worldwide." And I said, "No." I said, I didn't start anything. So I just want to be on the record with the world right here, right now, that you get all the credit for truly being a pioneer of documenting global lowriding, man. I mean, anybody that's doing it is doing it in your wake. So I just wanted to say thank you for opening that door for everybody, for sure. Yeah, thank you, man. It just, I felt like it was my, my, my duty and my my obligation as somebody who documents stuff because i was traveling a lot i was thinking like how am i going to go to these other countries and not touch down and and see if there's some lowriders here and and you know bust some flicks of the people who got them and shit like that so i went to you know i went to like the first countries i went to that had them were um you know, Europe, of course, uh, Mexico, Australia, Brazil, Japan, Thailand. And then once Instagram came about and you could, uh, you know, communicate with people worldwide any time of the day. And you just put like, hey, I'm going to this city, you know, is there anybody's out there, let me know. Motherfuckers are hitting you up, giving you messages. And you're like, hey, you know, if you have time, it'd be cool to, you know, bust some flicks of you with your ride or you and your homies or whatever and they're like hell yeah so i ended up you know just traveling on on whatever other work kind of shit i was doing and i would just you know hit up some low riders or whatever and then they would take hey you want to see our hood and shit like that and i'd go to their hood and you know that it just started snowballing like that to where you know i had pictures of so many countries of people in the lowrider culture and you know some of them are really 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 like dedicated you know and they love the shit like it's it's really their lifestyle like people are like oh man them motherfuckers don't you know they got lowriders but they they ain't really about it but i'm like no, they really are. You know, they, the motherfuckers have shops. They paint them themselves. They do the hydraulics themselves. They know how to work on. They know how to work on the cars more than I do. You know, I I know how to take pictures and to make money to go and have the the best dudes in the in the in the game. You know, work on my shit because it's a fucking car. You know, you don't want to be rolling around unsafe. My my wheels flew off uh, two times like driving like the all the uh lug nuts busted off and my wheel just fucking went on its own so you know these cars they're they're more dangerous to drive than any other car like if you ever drove a car the fucking hydraulics and shit you know like the whole car just sways you know crazy when you you know bending corners and stuff so you have to be safe you know and i don't think i could do shit family you know rolling around in these cars and you know be feeling you know like nothing's gonna happen you know i just have a feeling like man if i don't take it to chance of getting hurt yeah 
I was I was with my son. I had my nine year old son in the back seat in my fleet line, and I was doing about thirty. At about five o'clock, there was street traffic, and my brakes went out. And what happened? The pedal just went straight to the floor, and I managed. And I ran a stop sign, turned, and I had no brakes. And my son was screaming in my ear, "We're gonna crash! We're gonna crash! We're gonna crash!" He was freaking out. And luckily, yeah. I managed to get it to the side without, I barely hit a Lincoln Navigator, almost like that close. And we ended up not crashing, but it was scary as shit, man, with my kid in the car. He hates the car to this day. He's like traumatized over it, you know? So it's like, ah, you'll yeah. be all right. Come on, no seat belts, hey. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, how do you, how do you, what do you put the phone on so that when people call you, they don't like to, so that people don't fuck up the, you put on like do not disturb or because I'm I don't on know. the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean I got my son's like I got a call from my son's automated school message while we were talking. So don't don't trip, it's cool. Oh, okay. So having the opportunity to go around the world, you know, and and document, I mean, what what has surprised you the most? about low riding outside of the United States. Just how good they are at it, you know, like they're fucking building sick ass rides and like really, really, really high quality shit, you know, like, you know, like I've been to Cuba before and you see all the old school cars there and they have like a Russian motor in it and like, right. you know, all these other kinds of like, for them it's like survival, you know, they yeah. just put whatever fits in there and makes it makes the car work from A to B. Right. So you think like, man, I'm going to go to these third world countries or some of these other countries and they're going to look like that. And you get there and you're like, fuck, man, these dudes are like, the shit is pristine and like show quality. And you're like, where do these dudes get these parts from? And how do they fucking get like, this is one guy in the small ass town. What happens when his fucking hydraulics go out or something like that? Like he's fucked. And um, I just trip out that they're down like that, you know? Like we're here in LA, and and I have a I have a list of maybe ten guys with flatbeds, and I go through the list like halfway through every single time. I'll be like, Hey, what's up, homie? It's Stevan. You know, I'm broke down over here. You know, can you come scoop me up? Oh, I'm, you know, I don't have the truck with me. I'm with my family, or I got another car on here, or it'll be four hours. Or you go through that whole list before you get to somebody with a flatbed sometimes, and. I just think about these dudes in other countries. Like, what is what the fuck do they do when they break down, you know? Yeah. But, you know, that and, and also, you know, how much they love the culture, you know? And it's not like, a, you know, people, like, trip out, like, that there's people in Asia or something like that that are all tatted up and they're all, like, they look all gang-banged out and, and they're like, all oh, them fools are fake gangsters or fake this, fake that. But if you go there and you spend time with, with these with these people, these individuals, like, they're really about that lowrider life. And they're really about, you know, uh, you know, everything that comes with the culture. You know, they, they even go at it with the cops over there. Um, the, the, the biggest thing they probably don't have is like, you know, is a lot of active you know people in the streets and i think that's probably the the one thing that's a little bit easier for them you know they don't have to think about that like you know if i break down in this neighborhood i'm fucked or if i break down over here i'm fucked or you know the cops here in la are different than the cops around the world like i don't know if you've seen the video the other day of the guy wearing the rams jersey and the cops yeah. For taking flight on him. Like, there's another video of the cop camera. Like, it shows the guy talking shit. He's like, you know, fuck you, punk, and fuck you, lame, you know, telling the cops and all that. But <clears throat> that cop just, like, teed off on him, and he didn't fight back at all. And he just kept teeing off on him and kept teeing off on him. And it's like, you know, how much of that shit are you supposed to take? Like, I was watching that going, like, oh, the next punch, he's going to just fucking turn around and let that cop have it, you know? Because he was kind of like a big dude, kind of stocky. And he was, the way he was talking, like, he wasn't no fucking lame or nothing like that. I, I was like, any second, he's just going to take flight on this cop. 
and and he he you know he would just let the cop do his thing and then he was like hey man you know uh what'd you do all that shit for you know and the lady came out and goes why are you guys doing that he's one of the nicest guys you know and like get that fuck in the house and shut up like that's our cops here you know in la and they don't have to deal with that shit in other countries like that so i mean they they do have it a little bit easier but in that in that respect but i think they have it a lot harder when it comes to finding people to work on the cars or when it comes time to getting parts or shit like that or if they break down like we we're we got a, we're kind of spoiled here in la we have a hundred painters you know a bunch of different shops that could do shit you know low riding i mean uh hydraulics or or you know there's a few pinstripers but you go to some of these other countries there might be one guy that lives like you know 30 minutes away that can pinstripe your car and it won't be for six months yeah so right you know it's just a it's a trip you know that that's probably the only difference that i can think of that we have here as opposed to there you know here they racial profile you there you know they they just they probably trip out on the car and they they'll go through it like i heard in some countries like sweden or germany the cops fuck with you but it's a money thing you know they're like oh you got hydraulics there's a thousand dollar fine you got this here's another five hundred dollar fine they just rack up your fines you know I mean, sometimes it's probably easier to take a billy club a couple of times to your legs or something, but that money, that spending them racks, that that hurts too. For sure, for sure. Now, the uh, the people down in Mocha in Brazil were telling me that, you know, they pay outrageous import taxes on, yeah. on the parts. That's, you know, that's why, you know, they, they have to figure out their workarounds because parts are expensive and then they're getting killed on import taxes so it's yeah it's like, i think uh in thailand if you buy a car say it's just like 100 grand it's three times tax so the car that'll cost 100 grand here is 300 grand there just as an idea of like you know if you want a low ride in thailand no problem but you're just gonna have to pay three times when everybody else pays yeah when uh when I was in the when I was in Nagoya, I went to Tokyo when Bobby opened the lower left in Tokyo, and he introduced me to the guys that from Thailand that do show they they uh, promote lowrider shows in Thailand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and I had tripped out at that point because I had no idea that lowriding was in Thailand, you know. And so he put me on with those guys, and you know, it's just amazing to see how just literally any corner of the world it is. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of those guys in Russia, you know, they're yeah. doing, they're doing these funky cars that you never see, but they have a, a real seventies vibe to them. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love tripping out on all the car culture all around the world. Like, you know, even in Thailand, just the, um, the tuk-tuks like the taxis. Yeah. You know, like those are just like there's a lot of lowrider shit on those. Like all the the seats are done custom. There's pinstriping on them. They hook them up with these little lights. You know, like they hook it up like their little uh, you know, like their little versions of lowriders. And I thought that was pretty cool. I I took a bunch of pictures of those dudes, but um, you know, I I I just like I went to uh to japan maybe two years ago and one of the homies over there um he let me hit the switch driving his wife's car around that's another thing too is like they'll build themselves a car and build their wife a car and they'll they'll roll you know together like you know in a in a lineup and i was like man that's just dope you know yeah yeah right on does your wife have a car yeah 76 monte carlo nice nice and um and you all roll together yeah yeah nice yeah like uh you know so when when all the cars are up then we roll together in the cars or all rolling we'll roll in mine or rolling hers when none of you know one of the cars isn't isn't functioning right on and then are your are your kids getting into it are your kids building no. bikes are they 
they just go when we go and that's it but they're not they're not thinking of uh you know when i hit this age i want to have a low rider or, you know i like this year this car you know they i think they've seen all the shit that i've gone through and they're like fuck that give me a regular car let me put you know plug it into the wall or something like that so i don't have to even deal with no fucking gas or whatever you know <laughs> it, there was a point when it got to be like five dollars a gallon over here and um that shit was crazy you know all my all my cars have v8s in them so that shit was a hundred dollars a fucking a pop every couple of days for sure for sure do you are is the is the 47 has the original motor yeah are you gonna leave it like that or are you gonna convert it no i'm gonna keep it like that i just want to I want to keep it stock as long as I can, you know. It has the original paint job, the original interior, the original motor, original wheels. Like, everything on it is the way it came in 1947. And like I said, it has 15,000 miles. I put 2,000 of those on there since uh, 2008, maybe. Nice. So I only drive it, you know, a couple hundred miles here and there. And, um, you know, I just think it's cool if, if we keep some shit the way it was, you know? I heard that. Like, you right know, on. the way it came when it, when, it, when it came out of the showroom floor. Cool, man. Well, let me ask you this. What, I mean, we've been privileged to see low riding around the world through your eye, the way you've captured it. But what has low riding given you personally as a human being? Um, I mean, it's given me a lot, you know, it's like, uh, like it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much my life, you know, photography, photography, low riding, and my family is, is my life, you know? So it's like, I give, to low riding and I get back, you know, just as much, if not more, because, uh, you know, I, I'm out there hustling it, you know, like I'm out there pushing the line, waving the flag around the world, you know, and and, um, and when, when these other countries started buying into our culture, it created a lot of, uh, like, entrepreneurial opportunities for people that weren't ever going to think like that, you know. Like when uh, when the Japanese started coming over here with backpacks full of cash and buying cars up, like people all of a sudden now they're importers and exporters. You know, and they weren't they weren't into that doing that kind of shit. They just are like, you know, you know now they're they're going out there and trying to find certain cars. Like, hey, you know, what kind of car do you want? And people are like, oh, give me a you know a sixty sixty four Impala, and they're going around and getting the money you know well, they get a like what happened with me is i've sold a couple cars to a couple um different people in other countries and they would tell me what kind of car they wanted and i would send them pictures uh you know this before like instagram and all that so it was a little bit harder i would have to take a picture digitally and and download it to my computer and email it to them and then they would tell me, I like that one, you know, can can you change the color on the paint? So then I would get it painted for them, and then I would ship it to them overseas. So it put a lot of people in, in business that weren't, were, that were just working like a nine-to-five before. It gave them the opportunity to open their own companies and, you know, make a living out of it. And, you know, as they should, you know. Might as well be some people in the culture than culture vultures, you know, doing the shit. Might as well be us that are, you know, really low riding and and living this lifestyle, doing those type of businesses than some cornball motherfuckers that never been in a low rider, you know, just making money off the culture. And there's certainly a lot of that. Yeah. That's why every opportunity that comes up for for me, people will be like, "Oh, why did you do that project? You know, that was that looked like kind of, that was kind of like weak, you know." But but the part you did was cool, you know. So I'm like, well, 
that's why, you know, because no matter what, they're going to have somebody do it. And instead of having some cornball, you know, that doesn't know shit about low riding, you know, portray the, the culture to, to these brands that everybody's going to see, it might as well be somebody that's in the culture, you know, doing it. And so what if it's a corny brand or whatever, no matter what they're going to do it, they already have that in their game plan. They have it on their mood boards. They got the budgets, you know, put aside. They're, they're going to do that shit. So it might as well be somebody from our culture, you know, getting a check out of it than, you know, somebody that's not. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And that's really, that's really what motivated me to, to revisit my research. Cause I did the, I did globalization of low riding in my graduate program at San Francisco state. And then it was the dead end guys, you know, the, oh, yeah. the Espinosa brothers were having a show about uh, an exhibit of car culture in Japan. And so my wife and I went and we went to dinner afterwards and I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to do this thing. Those guys really inspired me to resurrect the research and formalize it, you know? And I started reading a lot of academic work on low riding and people are writing about low riding that have no idea what they're talking about. You know, it's just never a, even been in a car before. They needed a sexy topic for a dissertation and oh, yeah. low riding, you know, and it's, it's crazy, man. So, yeah. you know, I think it's important that we tell our stories from within because, you know, for hundreds of years, it's been the other way around. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. You know, I'm glad that different people from the culture are taking in their own hands because that's what, uh, that's what we need, you know, otherwise it's just, um, a bunch of fuckery going on you know people that don't know nothing about the shit like you know I, i'm so proud to say that i've driven low riders in other countries you know like that's the fucking shit to me like to be able to i mean one to be able to get somebody to trust you enough you know to drive their fucking car you know that like people coming over oh you know i'm from uh you know, Hungary or Belgium or whatever, can I drive your lowrider? You know, they'd be like, huh? But then, like, when I go over there, they'll be like, hey, you want to roll? You want to hit the switch and, you know, drive this car? I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do that shit. You'd be driving on the wrong side of the road and all that kind of shit because, you know, the roads are, that's how they are in some countries. And, right. you know, that shit's a trip, you know? Yeah. Like, I roll around with my boys in, in, in London and, um, you know, it's on the wrong side of the road, you know, there in Australia. And it's a trip, you know, seeing like, you know, when you're in the, usually when you're in the passenger seat, you're on the curbside, you know, but over there, you're driving, you're on the curbside. And it, it's kind of feels weird, you know, it feels like you're driving, but I don't know, it's a trip, but it's cool. Right on, man. Well, there in the comments, there's been there's been a lot of a lot of commentary about the movie. I wasn't gonna bring it up because I don't know if you're tired of talking about it or not. No um, way. You know, it's a it's a brilliant film. You Thank know, you. I mean, I'm not I'm no film critic, but you know, when it's good, it's good. And um, I got to tell you, uh, this is I think that for me in terms of all the people that I've talked to about the movie, this is the most powerful thing about this film as a piece of art. My best friend from childhood is my accountant and he is the squarest, whitest, straight laced dude you'd ever meet. Called me up and he said, hey man, have you seen this thing on Netflix, LA Originals? And I said, yeah, man. And he goes, man, what an amazing movie that was. He goes, that was such an amazing and powerful movie. And I went, man, that's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And he was like, he wanted to talk about it. And I thought, man, you know, that, that it would move somebody says so much that yeah. is, not, is not connected one inch, one iota to anything having to do with low riding or street culture of any form, you know, but is moved by it as a film, man, that's powerful. No, a lot of, oh, sorry. No, I was tripping out. A lot of people uh, said they cried from the movie, you know? I was like, damn, you know? Like if you, and, and a lot of people said, hey man, 
I'm so, you know, thank you for putting out that movie. You know, this is a really rough time for all of us, and that kind of gave us some, you know, positive, you know, like something good to feel good about. And I was like, damn, you know, so to me, I felt like I did my job. You know, I made people laugh. I made people cry. I made people feel good. I made them feel sad. So that's when you're you're really creating, you know, a film that, that you know, when it gets under people's skin, you know? Yeah. That That's what, that's, to me, that's what you want as a filmmaker is to be able to create that kind of emotion from people. And I mean, it takes a lot to get people to cry, you know, in a movie. So if you could do that, you're, you're hitting home for somebody, you know? Yeah. No, it's amazing. This, this other guy that I used to coach baseball with, I used to actually coach his kid. Same thing, you know, uh, the least, the least likely person I would ever expect to call me and say, Hey man, I just saw this thing. It reminded it, it reminded me of you, man. This thing is an amazing, amazing piece of filmmaking. And I was like, man, that's, you know, it's to me, it's incredible. Like the reach that that film is demonstrating, you know, I mean, it's not just for people who are in the culture. I mean, it's just a brilliant piece of art. So Man, thank you for making it. Oh, yeah. Thank you for watching it. Because if nobody watched it, we'd be asked out, you know? For sure. Like, like the the response was like so overwhelming and humbling. It's, I mean, everybody says like you, it was the perfect time for it to come out because everybody's stuck at the pad, you know? Right. Right. But we, we did have a lot of other stuff set up like film festivals and stuff like that, which is better for if you're a filmmaker for the movie to go to festivals and to, you know, be seen in all that, that same industry. But at the same time, everybody's seen it, you know, on Netflix. So it worked out. It was cool. Right on. Well, let me ask you, um, do you have a book coming out on, on global low writing, right? Is that the yeah. next one? That's the do next you, one. Do you have a, a tentative release date for that? Or can you talk about that or no? Is it too early? Well, it was supposed to be like, I was supposed to have it done by June. So it could come out by um, August. I mean, by, by uh, Christmas, you know, for sure. But this threw us back three months. And um, my photo lab that I use, because I shoot, the thing with my books is I try to do everything with film that was shot on film. And, and so it was all shot on negatives and you have to make prints of it. So I was making like, I've gotten probably to a hundred prints and I have like 200 more to make. And my photo lab just called me yesterday and told me that he, uh, he, he's not going to make it the, because of the, the virus, his business isn't going to make it. So he's closing up shop. And he's been doing it for 40 years, and he's one of the, the last of two photo labs in L.A. to to develop and print film in a dark room. So I was like, fuck, man, what do you mean? Like, you know, I was thinking of starting them a GoFundMe or some shit like that. Like, you know, this is this is L.A., you know, it's the home of 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 uh, films and, and, and photography and, you know, like, you know, this is the, the one of the main places for cameras, you know. And this is Los Angeles, California. Like, how the fuck you, you know, as a city, how could you let something like that die, you know? It's like uh, the guy's been doing business for 40 years. And, and they're just going to let it close because, you know, he couldn't pay his rent for those couple months that he couldn't work and didn't have no income coming in. You know, it's kind of, it's fucked up, you know, but I got to do what I got to do. I got to, you know, try that last, last uh, photo lab that, you know, the last of the Mohicans and, you know, I'm going to get the shit done, but that just put a big, uh, you know, big gouge in my whole program right there. Yeah. Yeah, man, this whole thing has, has businesses just, just drying up. And and closing shop, man. It's it's crazy, man. How this has just derailed a, a lot of livelihood for a lot of people. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, well, I haven't worked, I haven't done a job since March. 
and I don't have no jobs lined up. Like people are like, "Oh fuck yeah, that's great! You're gonna be doing a gang of shit now." I'm like, "When? <laughs> Nobody's going to work, and nobody, no film studios are open, no, no, nobody's reaching out, no record label, no nothing." So it's like, you know, we're gonna have to uh, just, you know, tighten up our belts and wait for the shit to end. And, you know, hopefully uh, some shit opens up because I need to get to get out there and start shooting. I've been shooting a little bit here and there just for me, just because I, you know, I got a, I got that itch. But, you know, as far as work goes, I'm waiting. We're all in the same boat. That's why I don't feel so bad because everybody's fucked, you know. If it was just like me, I'd be like, ah, poor me, poor me. But, like, we're all fucked, so. Yeah. It is what it is. For sure. For sure. Um, and you just you just did the release with Cookies, right? Yep. Burner How's that cookies. going? It went great. Everything, you know. When you do, like, those collabs with, like, Burner or, or Born and Raised or something like that, those are those type of brands where they're like, hey, we're dropping it this time. And if you if you make it, you know, before the shit sells out, then you make it. If not, then you're asked out to the next one. And they're like limited edition, you know. So it's like everybody, you know, wants to get it because they 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 might not get it. And it's cool, and you have everything sell out. But you kind of wish, like, fuck, you know, what if I made like a couple hundred more? Then we, you know, a couple more hundred people could buy it and we could live a, bit, a little bit longer, but it's like, you know, there's a hundred pieces of this, a hundred pieces of that, and it's over. But yeah. it was, it's good that, you know, when your shit sells out, you know, and he, Burner has a good following, Born and Raised has a good following, so that was, that was going to happen regardless if it was me or not, you know? Right on. Right on. Your favorite lowrider of all time? Mine. My my '64 Blue Velvet, you know, that's the one that I got the most blood, sweat, and tears, you know, invested in. And uh, you know, sometimes I love it the most, sometimes I hate it the most. You know, I've been on my way to somewhere thinking I was gonna be flossing and showing off and you know being that guy, and motherfucker breaks down and never even make it. And uh, that shit's traumatized, you know, but it makes you stronger every time, you know. Every time you go to uh, get in that car, you think like, okay, there's a good chance, you know, I might not make it to this event, but fuck it, let's go. And you just hit the hit the gas pedal. Right. I talk to mine and go, you know, come on. I kind of try to sweet talk it into getting me where I need to be. You know, yeah. like, come on, you know, we got we to gotta make it today. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. But, oh, man, I had so many conversations with my car, like, People think I'm crazy, you know, because I'm sitting there talking to the car. I'm like, man, you don't, you got no idea. These, the the crazy thing is, is those cars do whatever the fuck they want to do when they want to do it. Like, they got their little moods, and like sometimes you can go out there in the car, the battery will be dead, and you'll be like, you're trying to start, trying to start it, it's not, it's not starting. You're like, fuck, and then the battery goes dead. And you're like, oh man, and then you go, hey, I'm a, I gotta go charge the battery and see, you know, see what, see what's up with it. And you go, man, let me just try and start it one time, you know, just see, just see if it starts today without charging the battery or fucking with it, and it'll kick over. And you're like, god damn, man, this motherfucker. They just like to put you through it, you know. They'll be like, you you can look cool in us and be flossing and, and all that, but motherfucker, we're in control, you know? You're not the boss here. I'm the boss. I'm like, all right, all right. You know, just can you please get me where I got to go today? Not fuck me up. Not have me on the side of the road looking all weird. Yeah. And uh, and they will. <laughs> and they yeah. have. And they will continue to do so for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure, man. Well, let me ask you a question. At least you look good sitting on the side of the road. That's right. First, 100%. And then people walk by and go, hey, nice car. And then people yeah. driving by honking. And it's yeah, like, yeah. Thumbs up and shit. And you're like, Mother, the fucking, what's so nice about it? The motherfucker don't work. Yeah. Or they'll go, they'll, hey, nice car. Yeah. Now is not the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you've, you've well documented, like, you know, 
your vision and, and your experience with low riding around the world, um, where do you see it heading in the future? Um, well, I think right now it's the biggest it's ever been. Before the coronavirus, I think with no magazine and no, uh, I mean, I think it's like all the events I've been going to are the biggest that they've ever been and the best they've ever been, you know, like I'm seeing some of the best shit in low riding now that I've ever seen. Like people are like, you know, dialed everything in, you know, like to be the best it could be. And, um, you know, of course, what I liked about the 90s is I was one of the only people documenting the shit. And, and you see that now, you know. But, I mean, now you go and there's like, you know, maybe 20 lowriders, but there'll be 100 people with their camera phones, you know, taking pictures and filming and shit like that. And it's cool, but it's like, you know, now I get behind everybody. Before, I used to be the guy that was in the front, and I was trying to get the car hopping, like, right in front of me. It was almost hitting me every time and shit like that. Or I would try and get close, but now I get, like, back away, and I just try and capture, like, the culture, you know, like, a car, one car hopping against another car, and, like, a 100 people with their iPhones up or their Samsungs or their Obama phones or whatever, and... I just sit back and I trip out, you know, because I have photos of just me and like one or two video guys, but they had the big video cameras on their shoulders. Right. And, you know, I have th I have that era documented and now I'm documenting this era where there's, you know, more more cameras than, than cars out there. But before it was definitely the other way around. It was like, there was hardly anybody shooting this shit. You know, I remember uh, like Dick DeLoach and Elliot uh, Gilbert and one or two other guys that were shooting low riding, and they were the they were the voice of low riding through their photography. You know, and it was either like in a studio or at a low riding event, and yeah, that's it. You know, they're either in the taking pictures of the cars parked with the stanchions around them laid at the car shows or at the hopping event in the car show where, you know, it's all fenced off or they had uh, photos of them in the studio with a girl with a bikini and some, you know, high heel shoes on. But it was very rare that people were really out in the street photographing the scene. And now it's, you know, that's the opposite. There is no magazines and they're, everybody's just shooting to, you know, shooting for the gram. But it's cool, you know, you get like, I mean, I, I, I follow different pages just because they, they're all lowrider pages, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I like that one crash lowriders, you know, where you see everybody like cars catching on fire and fucking cars crash because you never ever saw that in a in a publication at all the first one i ever seen was the one that i put up my homie jerry he crashed the 64 his universal ball joint broke and he the car just went straight into a, a telephone pole and we were coming back from a funeral our homie our homie uh chele he had passed away in his car and uh me and cartoon and jerry we were both driving three deep down uh, Melrose and Hollywood and we were going to go eat and go up to Hollywood Boulevard and just park our cars and kick it on Hollywood Boulevard and his, his shit broke and he crashed into the telephone pole and you know all you think of is cruising down the street in my 6-4 you know the easy wrap the 6-4 around a telephone pole and I'm just going like fuck man that's crazy you know like that song's playing in my head and I'm looking at a car right there, 64 crashing the telephone pole. And I would send that photo in when people would say like, Hey, can you send us like 10 of your favorite photos to put with your interview? I mean, yeah, sure. And I'd send that, the LA fingers, a couple other ones. And that was probably like one of the first times I'd seen a, a fucking, you know, nice ass lowrider all banged up. But now I just trip out on that, that page that just has only, crash lowriders you know because you feel that shit like 
you're like, damn, man, that poor motherfucker right there, that poor family, you know, like, you just feel for them. It, it's kind of like when you see, like, those tsunamis hitting those villages and just wipes out the whole fucking village. Like, that's how I feel when I see one of those lowriders just, like, burning in a in a in, enclosed uh, the trailer. car carrier. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, no, the guy, poor guy, like. Does he need anything? Like, how can we help this guy, you know? I mean, everybody has insurance now, but back in the day, you, you had fucking, like, the equivalent to Geico, and you didn't, like, I've never had a license plate on any of my lowriders. Still to this day. My 64's never had a license plate on it, and my 47's had the Felix plate on it the whole time. So, you know... We weren't we weren't driving with licenses back then. We weren't driving with insurance, and you know, shit goes wrong. You're asked out. It's over. It's like the coronavirus hits you. You're never coming back from that shit. You don't got no insurance, and you ain't gonna go spend another fucking fifty grand on a car. After all that, you know. You just, yeah. It's like losing a family member. It hurts. It hurts to see, man, for sure. But um, Instagram is counting me down, Esteban. So I want to just thank you for, for spending the hour, man. I know that you're super busy, and I really appreciate the opportunity to chop it up with you a little bit. Hell yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on here. Hey, m much love, much respect, and thank you for, for your artistry and, um, and just bringing us into your world and throughout the world. I think that, you know, you paving the way has given us as a culture access to what's happening around the world. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks to all the lowriders all around the world that, you know, let me do that shit. Cause if they said, no, fuck you, then uh, there wouldn't be nothing, you know? So right on, man. Then people ben opening their arms and opening their doors to their houses, like much love to them. For sure. Best to you and your family, man. Stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right, man. All right. Thanks for tuning in. That was a great conversation with Estevan. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for supporting the Lowride Worldwide podcast. My name is John Uloa, and please, please, please go ahead and share this and spread the word on all of your social media outlets with your family, your friends, your neighbors, strangers on the street. Thanks very much, and we'll catch you on the next one.